Hello and welcome to the Ram Gad Pod, the Realtors Association of Maui Government Affairs Director podcast. I am your host, Jason Economu, Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui, and I am joined today by Max Tornai, Development Director for Habitat for Humanity on Maui. Good morning, Max. Good morning. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. So we met at the Maui Nui Attainable Housing Forum, correct? Correct, yeah. And I love what Habitat for Humanity does. You guys have a solid reputation throughout the country. But let's start off pretending that we don't know what Habitat for Humanity does. So what does Habitat for Humanity do, especially here on Maui? Uh, So Habitat for Humanity Maui... um, builds affordable houses for um, low-income residents on Lanai and Maui Islands. Um, We also do uh, safety repairs for um, existing homes that are in substandard or um, unsafe conditions. Um, We also run a uh, homeowner education um, and financial literacy uh, program. Um, that's available to the general public. It's a requirement for all of our partner homeowners, but um, it is available to the general public. Uh, It's a HUD certified uh, curriculum and it teaches people how to just be prepared uh, to qualify for homeownership, whether it's with Habitat or um, the the normal market. Um, We also run a sort of like a donation, a building material donation thrift store called uh, The Restore. I love that store. It, that is uh, amazing. So that we get donations all the time from the um, resorts that are renovating, from um, building contractors here on island, from just the general public that are um, have building materials or household items that they don't need anymore. They donate it to Habitat. Um, the Restore sells it at a significant discount um, from what the regular market value would be and that money that's generated from those sales gets rolled into our home build program and it's a, it's a sustainable revenue source to support building af- affordable houses on Maui. So just for a, an idea of scope or scale, mm-hmm. like how many houses have you guys been building over the last, I don't know, decade, five years, whatever the timeline sure, you Sure, yeah. So Habitat for Humanity Maui became an official affiliate of Habitat International in 1997. For the first four or five years, um, we were kind of an all-volunteer organization just trying to grow our capacity a little bit. We did uh, a number of um, safety repairs and uh, uh renovations for homes that were in substandard condition. Um, In 2003, we hired our first employee. That was our executive director, Sherry Dodson. She's still our executive director today. Um, Since 2003, um, we have either substantially renovated or built outright um, 123 homes on on Maui and Lanai. Um, And yeah, we have uh, a lot in the pipeline. And so that's just going to keep going from there. And the more homes we build, um, the way that Habitat works is um, we raise the money uh, to build the homes um, uh, from the new homes we build from from the ground up. Uh, So we raise the money to do all that. And then we um, issue a 0% interest mortgage to the qualifying homeowner. It's a 30-year mortgage. we can get, get into those details later, but as those mortgage payments uh, come in, those uh, 
those mortgage payments also get rolled into our home build program. So um, it just fuels further affordable housing um, opportunities for, for our community. So the, you guys build the homes, mm -hmm. these folks qualify. How do you qualify to get this amazing mortgage at a 0% interest right. rate? Right, you really can't beat a 0% interest rate. <laughs> but uh, basically, the homeowner or the potential homeowner, the people that are applying, it can either be a family or an individual, they have to meet our, um, a number of requirements. The first is that they show a need. So there's either... Um, they're either homeless or they're living in substandard housing right now, overcrowded housing, um, or, or, you know, have never owned a home before, a first-time home buyer. Um, they have to meet our income ranges. Um, so we can only assist individuals or families that uh, fall between the 25% to 80% AMI or the area median income range. Um, there's no other agency. Um, nonprofit or otherwise that I know of on Maui that serves that population um, at that income range. There are a couple other nonprofits that do 80% of AMI and above. Um, we're the only nonprofit that uh, services the population that's very low income, 25% to 80%. Mm, just to, to clarify, you mean exclusively? Where, where other nonprofits might have some housing for that really low end, the 25% the to, to 60%. Yeah, AMI. I'm talking exclusively home ownership opportunities as opposed to rentals. There's a, you know, certainly the, the Homeless Resource Center mm -hmm. um, has transitional housing opportunities. Um, there are definitely low income rental programs out there, but um, in terms of programs where we're trying to get local people into houses that they own themselves, uh, we're the only nonprofit on Maui that that serves that that low in, that of that much of a low income population. That's impressive. Now, can these folks um, refinance and and pull equity out of the homes during the the life of this thirty year mortgage? Or um, so, in terms of refinancing, if um, you really can't get a, a better in, uh, interest rate than zero percent, so yeah. <laughs> there's not much refinancing that's going to be done in that side of things. In terms of um, being flexible with the mortgage, if the homeowner, so Habitat is both the building contractor and the mortgage provider. So it's all kind of in-house. Um, if one of our homeowners has a medical emergency or loses their job, we have the flexibility to be, um, well, we have the flexibility to be flexible with those uh, uh, with, with their income payments or maybe waive a late, pay, uh, a late fee for, a certain amount of time or readjust their payment slightly for a certain amount of time. Um, the homeowner uh, does have um, certain restrictions in what they can and can't do with the property. So they there's a it's deed restricted, so they it has to be homeowner occupied. So they can't move into that house and then six months later or any time during that 30 year um, affordability period uh, move out and rent out that um, habitat house for like rental income. Yeah. Um, they uh, are able to start building equity into that um, property 11 years into that homeowner um, uh, affordability period. So 10 years, um, they're not gaining any equity. And then starting at year 11 to year 30, they slowly build equity and at the basically after the 30th year, if they, then if they chose to so sell it, 
um, it's theirs to sell. Mo uh, almost 100% of our homeowners um, have, have actually haven't seen one of our homeowners that hasn't chosen to um, uh, inherit or to basically if, if they, they have it in their will and they're basically going to leave that house and that property to their children. It's usually within the, you know, it stays in the family. It's not um, something that they get into as a real estate investment to flip the house and make a big profit. It's something that um, an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have to stay here on Maui, um, where most of these, um, most of our, our partner homeowners have lived all their lives you know, yeah. for generations even. That's interesting. One of the things that often comes up is the notion of affordable in perpetuity, mm -hmm. putting a deed restriction that says if you sell this house, it can only be sold at, at the affordable levels. But you guys don't do that. Um, so we just have the 30-year affordability period, um, and there are certainly restrictions within that 30 years. Um, uh, and there is a time and place um, for the perpetuity model. There's certainly a, a population that um, could very well benefit from uh, an affording, affordable housing model that's designed to be affordable in perpetuity. Mm. Um, for Habitat, uh, we are trying to give our homeowners uh, a, hand, a hand up, not necessarily a handout. Um, and we uh, would like our homeowners to become successful, to become financially self-sufficient and independent. And part of that is um, gaining equity into the property that you own. Um, we have to be very, very careful about the potential for abuse. Um, you know, there are definitely restrictions, you know, there are laws in, um, in place. I think for Maui County, at least, uh, they have the restrictions of a 10-year affordability period. Yeah. Um, Habitat goes 30 years. Uh, but um, those are in place so somebody doesn't get to be the beneficiary of a Habitat house a pro, you know, from a Habitat program and then turn around one year later and sell it for a major profit where then that unit is um, no longer affordable and it's basically gone from the, the inventory. Um, so we, in that sense, that's why the, that 30-year affordability period exists. Um, and all those folks that are your consumers, I guess, for lack of a better term, are the homeowners. Mm -hmm. Do they undergo the, the education literacy program as well? Yeah, so that's a requirement for all of our homeowners. Um, there are a couple of different requirements uh, uh, that, they, that they have. One is to commit to um, providing up to uh, 500, uh, 500 hours of sweat equity building their house or more. Oh, cool. So it's a minimum of 500 hours of sweat equity. Um, and one is the commitment to take this homeowner education and financial literacy course. Um, that really goes into depth for what you're going to expect um, in regards to uh, new expenses as being a homeowner. So you're going to have a mortgage payment. You're going to have property taxes. You know, you're going to have um, an escrow account that you're that, that you're dealing with. And a, a lot of people, those terms. Um, you know, they, they don't really have an understanding for what, what those actually mean or, or what the, the monetary commitment to becoming a homeowner will be. You know, you have to save for repairs down the road when, you know, 
20, 30 years down the road, your roof leaks or, or whatever it might be. Um, so uh, we're trying to prepare uh, uh, the participants in that class to, you know, look at what their budget is now, to look at their credit score and credit report, see if there's any errors that are on their credit report. Um, our uh, uh, program comes with personalized budget counseling. So um, it teaches our homeowners how to communicate with those credit agencies to remove errors if they're on there um, and just how how to gain an understanding of the long-term impacts of what your credit history actually is. Um, and a lot of people don't really understand how significant um, some financial decisions might be early on in your life. Um, you take out a credit card, a high interest rate, you're making the minimum payment, and that interest rate is just ballooning your balance. Um, and suddenly you're looking at you know, tens of thousands of dollars or whatever it is um, uh, of, of credit card debt that's just getting bigger and bigger. So um, we're trying to uh, give people the tools to know how to make, how to assess their own financial situation um, and to make smart choices, understanding what the consequences of their choices might be for their personal situation um, and make smart choices uh, to improve their, their financial stability and usually that style, financial stability, getting to that point, um, improving your credit score, will start getting you um, to the point where you can get qualified to be, um, be, be qualified for a mortgage, whether it's with Habitat or through the normal market. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna spring a, a question on you mm -hmm. that you might not have the answer for, okay. but do you guys track any sort of metric of success for how these education and literacy courses um, benefit those who, who undergo them. Yeah, so um, we, we do uh, do follow-up surveys. So we do um, uh, quality satisfaction surveys um, basically at the time of the class. So, you know, was this information valuable to you? Um, how was the instructor? You know, those types of things. And um, we've always gotten very, very uh, good feedback in that regard. Um, we do try to follow up with um, uh, past participants and follow them over time. Um, that can get difficult if they've moved out of state, if they've, you know, if they're a Habitat homeowner, um, then we do have a lot more information and data um, associated with that because that's all part of our file and we do regular annual checkups um, with our families. Um, but the general population, it's a little bit harder to track those, um, those, those metrics. Uh, but for our Habitat families, um, uh, you know, I don't have the specific st uh, statistics in front of me, but the high majority, um, you know, because they, I think the biggest impact is because they finally have uh, uh, monthly housing um, cost that's actually reasonable and within their ability to pay. Um, they become that much more successful um, long term. So I would say the high majority of our Habitat homeowners um, have definitely improved their, their financial situation long term. Um, I don't have any specific. Oh, yeah, right that's, now, but, that's okay. I yeah. didn't ask you to bring specifics. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. I completely understand. Um, I love this 500 hours of sweat equity. Mm -hmm. I, I can imagine all sorts of reasons why that would be beneficial, but but maybe you could give us in, in your words why do you guys do that? 
Well, it brings a, um, this isn't automatically a pun, but it brings a level of ownership to the program. Um, so they're, they're more bought into uh, their investment. They've literally put their own hard work into helping build the structure. So at the end of the, um, at the end of the program where, you know, the house has passed inspection, um, the, they've closed on their mortgage and they finally get to move in. We have a, uh, a house blessing ceremony, um, usually. And the level of pride that our homeowners have, um, they've worked so hard, uh, building this house themselves along with um, all of our volunteers and, and uh, the rest of our community um, that it's, I don't know, it's just so, it's, it's so powerful to them um, that it's, they're just that much more bought into that this is their home now as opposed to this is like an investment where they're going to sell in a few years and, and, and make some money. Um, the other reason why it's so, uh, such a cool part of Habitat's program is because it's it's almost like a free construction education. Um, you know, a lot of our volunteers, and this is that, that goes for our volunteer, or just our construction volunteers in general. Um, a lot of our volunteers are, are novices. A lot of our volunteers are experts. But um, part of Habitat's program is to understand that we rely on volunteers, we rely on our partner homeowners, and not everyone will have those skills from the get-go to know how to build a house safely to, to code. Um, and uh, our homeowners are generally there from the, you know, pouring the footings, the concrete footings, to, you know, putting on the, the shingles and, and doing the finishing work inside painting. And they know what it takes where, every, you know, where things are in the house. And if repairs need to be made, they know what will be required to make those repairs so they can either do the repairs themselves or they can speak knowledgeably to a contractor. Um, but that, that knowledge that they gain throughout that course is, is huge. You know? yeah. um, so there's, that as there's the construction education aspect to it. There's um, the fact that they you know, are so proud of their own work um, and they're receiving... Uh, a house that's going to be providing so much stability in their lives um, and they can trust that they can afford this um, that you know it's, it's just uh, an amazing program and um, you know if you ever get a chance to come out to one of those home blessing ceremonies um, uh, you should do it because uh, it's such a good feeling for everyone involved and especially um, you know, for any of our donors or, or supporters in the community to see the, that end result is, um, is such a good feeling and it really brings uh, a lot of credibility to the program. Yeah, I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm a homeowner and we do not have a lot of money, so a lot of the repairs fall on us. Mm -hmm. And I look at repairs that I made a year ago <laughs> and I cringe with, with horror. I just think to myself, oh my God, why was I so dumb to try that? <laughs> and, and now it's just a world of difference. And I think if I had some sort of opportunity to, to work with peers and, and individuals who actually know what they're doing mm -hmm. beforehand and get to know the house from the inside out. Right. It would have made my task as, as a homeowner easier. 
and, and it would have increased the quality of repairs that I was doing sure. for that first year at least. Sure. You know, um, if, if you know what it takes to put in a lot of floor joists and um, something goes wrong, you'll know because you've done so many in your own house uh, what it takes to do that repair, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's just such an, it's, it's, it weeds out, um, a population that might not be willing to work for, Mm. um, such a big benefit, you know? Um, and then it provides the education and, um, you know, people are so invested, uh, in, in their work and the pride that they get, you know, it's, it's really a, such a good, such a good program. I like that you you brought up the fact that it weeds people out. I I think that it's important for any aid package of any sort to have some level of Mm -hmm. buy-in. That's that's one of my my criticisms to a certain degree with the the first-time home buyers program. I wish there was more of a level of buy-in like these education literacy Mm -hmm. uh, programs. But do you guys, do you have an issue with once people qualify with the 500 hours in the, the education literacy, that they have uh, difficulty maintaining the rest of the bargain as far as paying the the mortgage on time, or are your rates of I guess foreclosure low? Yeah, so I don't think Habitat Maui has ever foreclosed on one of our properties. Um, certainly, there have been situations where um, you know people have lost their job or had gotten a medical, you know, um, their family members or themselves have been in a medical emergency, um, you know, and have been inundated with medical expenses that they weren't expecting. Um, and, uh, you know, Habitat has the ability, like I said before, to be flexible and working with our homeowners, knowing that, um, you know, uh, we're dealing with a lower income population and money is very, very tight usually. Um, but in terms of, um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Can you ask the question again? Um, yeah. So I was asking about your foreclosure rates and, yeah. and you guys said that you had no, no foreclosures in, in that time. Right. And you were saying that occasionally there are instances where people, um, for medical emergencies or family emergencies right. can't make payments. So in, in that situation, um, you know, we have the flexibility to uh, potentially avoid foreclosure. You know, we have more flexibility than maybe um, just a for-profit mortgage lender would have on the mainland, um, you know, uh, and uh, we can try to work with the homeowner to see how we can get them back on their feet so they can start making their regular mortgage payments again. Um, we've had, uh, I think, one situation where one of our homeowners um, got married. Uh, she was uh, living in, um, I think, just a, a one-bedroom uh, unit in her, uh, one of our condominium um, projects. But uh, she got married to somebody in the Army, and um, he got stationed somewhere else. And so... Uh, uh, we had to, Habitat for Humanity has the right of first refusal to buy back um, uh, the property or, you know, there's a couple of options that we have um, where if they're within that 30 year affordability period um, that, you know, we can be flexible with how they can, um, you know, sort of sell 
the property. They're not making necessarily any equity until that 11th year of the 30-year affordability period. Um, but there are ways, uh, you know, they're not uh, necessarily stuck, stuck in that program for 30 years. They, you know, they can sell. But in those situations, um, uh, we've had a few, home, you know, very little, like I can count on just a few fingers, um, uh, people that have had to move out of their habitat homes. Um, but they weren't foreclosures. Yeah, so it's it's more, um, I guess, subrogation or, or somebody else uh, taking on the responsibility. It's right, a right. So we would find another qualified family to take over that, you know, to take over that unit or to assume the mortgage from there, you know. Very cool. Now, what does the development director do? So the development director, which um, is you, which is me, <laughs> I'm the development director for Habitat for Humanity Maui. Um, I do a lot of grant writing, um, our fundraising. Um, I uh, deal with our, our donors. Um, I do our donor, donor acknowledgement letters. Um, so donor relations, grant writing, fundraising events, um, mostly anything to do with monetary support um, for our programs that's coming into the into the agency. Um, I don't really cut the checks for all of our expenses and you know I don't sign our checks. Um, I bring in the money and then my, my staff my coworkers um, handle other aspects of the agency. About how big is your staff on Maui? So we have um, I think between uh, the admin staff and the restore I think we have about 11 or 12 employees. That's that's a smaller staff than I was anticipating with the amount that you guys are doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so, um, you know, it's a lot of wearing, um, you know, just supporting each other. We have a huge volunteer support system. So, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, uh, volunteers that will help out in the restore. We have a lot of help volunteers that will help out on the construction site. So we definitely save a lot of money. That's how we can keep our construction costs, you know, lower. Um, but yeah, it's certainly a small staff for, um, you know, what we can accomplish, so. Um. Now, Habitat for Humanity is an internationally recognizable name. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of times in communities that are as tight-knit as Maui is, uh, there's a hesitance to give to organizations or work with organizations that have a big uh, national or, or global presence mm -hmm. because it, there's this perception that it's not really local and you guys have enough money from from all those those global donors yep. is is that accurate um well i mean <laughs> uh if somebody on maui was going to go to habitat international's website and make a donation through there or respond to a habitat international solicitation for a donut donation where the you know, you're sending your check to america's georgia Habitat Maui is not going to see that money. Mm. Um, if you make your check out to Habitat for Humanity Maui and you send it to 1162 Lower Main Street in Wailuku, uh, 96761, um, then 100% of that money uh, will stay in Maui um, or Maui County. Um, you know, we also have Lanai as our, uh, as our service area. Um, uh, we do receive a lot of indirect support from Habitat International. Certainly the brand recognition is huge. Yeah. Um, uh, we get a, uh, a lot of support 
in terms of policy or insurance, um, uh, uh, you know, our, our liability insurances, for example, through Habitat for Humanity International. Um, we certainly do not see a cut from the donations that they receive um, as part, you know, as to support us. So you're saying if if my five listeners cut a hundred dollar check today, where should they drop it off to? So they can um, drop it off or send it to our office. Um, so just Habitat for Humanity, Maui, one one six two Lower Main Street in Wailuku. Um, Hawaii, the zip code is 96769693. Can they donate online? They can donate the online. So, What's the website? Um, the website is habitat-maui.org. You can also put Habitat Maui into Google. We should come right up. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's a donation link on our main page. Um, just click that. That'll take you through to our PayPal donation account and... Um, you can make an online donation just with a credit card, any credit card. Um, and yeah, so right now we've been uh, getting a lot of online donations um, because of a, actually a, a high school um, senior project um, who has, uh, this gentleman has created a, um, a program called 100 Realtors Who Care. He got in touch with us a few months ago. His name is Pohaku Kepler. And uh, as a senior project, he wanted to raise a significant amount of money for a local nonprofit. And um, I think he really uh, could understand the need for affordable housing right now here on Maui. Um, so he just kind of got this um, up and running. He has a website um, called uh, 100realestateagentswhocare.com. Um, and uh, he's going out to the community, trying to um, engage with real, you know, uh, realtors um, and trying to encourage them to give $100. His goal, obviously, is to get 100 realtors to give $100. And all of a sudden, we, you know, that's $10,000 um, for our home build program. Um, so I've been dealing, you know, those donations have been coming in. I think we're um, close to $2,000 now. He hasn't really fully launched it yet but it's super exciting um he has his website he's um posting you know pictures and i think um, the names and i think the links to their websites um, for all the realtors who have supported us um but yeah so that gets um linked to our uh habitat maui's webpage and um gets processed through habitat maui's um paypal account so Outstanding. Yeah, he's been doing a great job. Is uh, amazing. So, um, you know, I really appreciate that that hard work, um, especially from somebody so young. You know. Yeah. D how how did you meet him? How did he get involved? Do you do you know? Um. So he uh he just, I think he just uh, called in. He had this idea. Um. He was working with his auntie, who's a real estate agent, and um. You know, there are other programs out there that are kind of similar, 100 Men Who Care. I think there's 100 Women Who Care. Um, and uh, it's a great concept because, um, uh, you know, real, realtors, they are invested in housing on Maui. I'm sure everyone has been in that situation where um, they're trying to help somebody who maybe just can't afford to qualify for a loan, um, yeah. especially with the cost of housing, you know, um, 
uh, home prices here right now. Um, and uh, yeah, he was um, just saw that need, saw a group that's invested in in housing on Maui that might potentially be able to make that kind of contribution. And um, there are enough realtors on Maui that we could get a hundred um, and maybe not even make a dent. So uh, if, if we have over 1600 members right now, we, <laughs> oh my gosh, we yeah. have, I think, uh, 1,666 uh, regular members who are realtors. And then we have something like 87 affiliate members oh, Yeah, right now. So if he can get a hundred of those, um, you know, uh, that's, a great success and um, you know he's working really hard to, to reach out to the community um, and let people know about it he has um, a Facebook page he has his website so just one more time that's um, a hundred real estate agents who care dot com um, and uh, yeah so if any of your listeners if any of your five listeners <laughs> want to um, you know want to be part of the affordable housing solution um, and uh, you know, really be supportive of a, of, um, a young student trying to make a difference. Uh, this is the perfect way to do it. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm not a, I'm not, not actually a realtor. Mm -hmm. I'm not actually a real estate agent. I'm, I'm an attorney. I work for the realtors. I am going to give a hundred dollars though. Um, but the reason why awesome. I, I explain that I'm not a realtor is because that doesn't get everybody off the hook. If, if you're <laughs> listening true. and you think, oh, well, Jason's going to give a hundred dollars. <laughs> Uh, that that doesn't count towards the hundred, the, the the realtors who care. So they need to give money too. We're we're gonna keep on stressing that. Um, this is not an official um, RAM Realtors Association of Maui um, fundraiser, but I just right. love the idea. You know, yeah. when you have young folks who recognize, our, I think on Maui our biggest need right now, beyond the environmental concerns. Right. I think is really housing. Right. And there is a clear link between economic recession and low inventory of housing. That is definitely true. And so if if we have young folks who want to engage the community and especially realtors who already have a passion for helping people out and getting people in houses. Right. It makes sense. It's such a perfect fit um, and it's all for such a good cause and we have so many projects in the pipeline um, that this money could go towards uh, and really help a lot of people. So it's just like a quadruple quintuple win um, for everybody in the community. Um, and, you know, I can only encourage young people to to really try to start making a difference. And Puhaku is one of, you know, is, is walking the walk right now. So I do want to learn more about you, but but you mentioned that you have some projects in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. So so let's let's talk about some of those projects. I, I know our listeners, our realtors, are concerned about that, and just yeah. the citizenry is is really concerned about that. So yeah. what does does Habitat have going on? So right now we're in the middle of um, building ten houses in Lahaina. We just finished um, four of them, uh, the two bedrooms, um, and. Uh, you know, that's amazing. So we won't, we don't sell, um, our sales price will never be more than 30% of a qualifying family's income at the time of their application. So that's what we sell the actual house for at the 0% interest mortgage. Um, the, um, uh, and what's the, you know, the appraised, so, uh, the appraised value of those homes 
um, is now significantly higher, especially for Lahaina, because you know you could have a dirt lot that costs three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand dollars in Lahaina with nothing on it. Um, so uh, I think last um, spring, maybe early summer, when we were first um, finishing our the two bedrooms over there, we we got some of them appraised. Um, and those were, they got appraised for $660,000. Um, we're going to be selling them. Like I said, um, we have a home price. It's basically an equation that looks at their income, sees what 30% of that is times that by 30, you know, their monthly income by 12 months, by 30 years. And that's what we set the sales price at. For most of our low income families that we're looking at about Three hundred thousand, maybe three hundred twenty-five thousand um, dollars for that two-bedroom house. So there's a significant difference between our sales price, especially at a zero percent interest, versus the appraised value of that house. Yeah, this is the first time I think in our history that the appraised value is more than double what our sales price is. That's crazy. So we have those ten houses that are going up um, in Lahaina right now. Um, we can use all the help that we can get from um, the community uh, in terms of construction volunteers to help us uh, uh, complete those. We get a lot of um, groups doing um, sort of like team building exercises, um, you know, team building events. Uh, and, but we need we need the rest of the community. Our homeowners can't do it all on their just on their sweat equity. But um, yeah, so we have those ten houses going on in Lahaina. We have uh, one house going up in the um, Waiohuli Keokea Hawaiian homelands, um, just sort of like up in Kula of country. Um, we have another three families um, in that um, Department of Hawaiian Homelands DHHL subdivision um, that are coming up next. And then um, our next real big project is 25 houses in Hana. Did you guys, there was a, that was up for a committee uh, action this week? Is yeah, right? it was up yesterday. Um, uh, it was up on the Economic Development and Budget Committee, um, you know, uh, hearing um, for the county council. So it looks like that's going to move forward? Well, we'll see. We had a lot of great um, uh, <laughs> testimony um, that came out of HANA and, um, uh, you know, that and that testified remotely, um, people that came uh, in person and, and testified at the county, uh, the county council chambers in Wailuku. Um, there was another excellent um, uh, project, it was also HANA related, um, that took up basically all of the time of that mm. committee hearing. So we got bumped to December for an actual vote. Um, I think it's December 5th, but um, uh, we'll see what happens then. All of the testimony um, was, was very much in support of Habitat's program. So I think the county council members on that committee definitely heard that. Um, but I can't come to you today saying that it's a sure that thing. It, that, yeah, that they, that they voted for it and it's moving through the process. But, um, you know, I'm hoping. Now, do you guys ever face any, like, opposition to your projects? Um... You know, anytime that there's a proposed development, there will be issues that need to be taken seriously. Um, you know, environmental issues, uh, things like that. Um, uh, we have sometimes, you know, it's mostly um, our 
uh, relationship with the developer of the of the land. You know, I mean, in terms of like the infrastructure of the land, just getting the lots ready. Um, so uh, there has been some delays uh, in the past in regards to hashing all of that stuff out, the environmental stuff, um, before it even got to habitats stage. Mm. Um, so certainly there are delays uh, just whenever you're talking about development. So, yeah. you know, we've been working on the HANA project for over two years now. You know, the Lahaina project we started working on in 2011. We just started being able to get boots on the ground in 2018 last year. Um, so it takes some time. Um, and uh, certainly I think the community should voice concerns, especially when it comes to environmental concerns, um, and, and, and hash that out. But there's never been really any pushback on how Habitat's programs work. Yeah. You know? You know, I think one of the difficult issues is that a lot of folks try and draw a bright line saying, we don't like new development. Mm -hmm. We are opposed to new development. It's, it's ruining the, the nature of the island. Um, and at the same time, they want people to find affordable housing. Right. And, and there's right. a little bit of a disconnect that, well, a certain amount of quote-unquote development is necessary for affordable housing. Right. Um, I don't think that in a lot of people's minds they think of Habitat for Humanity as developers, but what you guys do is you develop housing. Right, right. And you develop real estate. So, yeah, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm not even sure what, what the ultimate point or, or question is, um, but I, I do think it's important for people to recognize that, that there are a lot of organizations that are involved in development that aren't these these mainland developers that are oftentimes the the folks that we like to point a finger at as, right. as the man behind the curtain who's ruining Maui. Right. Um, you guys are, are doing some great stuff. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with everything that you just said. Yeah. Thank it you. Is. That's why I brought you in here. <laughs> I, I love that. Uh, yeah, I was unintended. If you disagree, I would, I, I would <laughs> kick you out. Yeah. <laughs> now now let's let's take a step back. How does one prepare themselves to be development director for for Habitat for Humanity? Do you do you have a background in in philanthropy and um well, uh I I do have um a background in nonprofit management. Um I was the executive director for mediation uh for Maui Mediation Services. Um I worked there for 5 years uh between 2009 and 2014, um, uh, but I always had um, an affinity for the Habitat for Humanity, um, and and certainly the the need is very drastic and severe for um, for our community uh, that's just getting priced out of, of regular housing. Um, uh, so when the you know when the opportunity came up um, and the position opened up in, in 2014, um, you know I, I kind of jumped at it. Let's go even further back. Where are you from? So I'm originally from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and you got rid of that accent. That was that was good. <laughs> um, it comes back when I'm uh, when when I go back and visit, but. Uh, uh, it never really stuck. I'm, a, I'm not necessarily from Boston proper. Um, I'm a little bit more from the, the suburbs. Um, but, uh, you know, both of my both of my parents are immigrants off the boat. So oh. uh, from from Eastern Europe. So um, 
uh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I don't have a heavy Slovakian accent <laughs> <laughs> right now. Um, and I also did um, group, spent a few years in in Vancouver, Canada. So most people um, peg me for Canadian. <laughs> it's the, uh, more than Boston, but anyways, yeah, that's neither here nor there. Now, uh, you know, children of Eastern European immigrants have been attacked lately for for not having loyalties to that's the true. U.S. Is that an issue <laughs> for you? Uh, you? No, you, you love America. <laughs> I do. I'm, I'm, no, you know, um, uh, as as far as that's concerned, um, you know, uh, you know, my mother was um, really trapped behind the Iron Curtain, was able to get out during the Prague Spring um, and get political asylum. And so I can only be so grateful to America for accepting her and offering her, you know, new opportunities. Um, and, you know, I think obviously my life would be a lot different if uh, she didn't have that. And, um, you know, I take that seriously. So, yeah, I'm certainly, certainly not against the U.S. by any means. My, um, you know, I've, I've shared this on the podcast before. My dad is an immigrant from Greece. Mm. And I've always felt that because of the opportunity that, that he was able to, to find in coming to America, that that kind of guided me towards a more public service oriented path in life. Um, have you seen that? Has, has their background as, as non-native born citizens um, affected your career path? Um, I mean, uh, certainly I could understand the struggles, you know, I I saw the struggles that they were dealing with, um, not being, you know, not having English as a native language, um, uh, maybe, you know, lower on the, the education, um, you know, neither of them, uh, uh, came to this country with more than a high school level education. Um, and, you know, they both had to work really, really hard to uh, make life work for, um, you know, for their small family. Um, as far as, you know, I could definitely appreciate the value of education. Um, and, uh, yeah, it gives you a different perspective, I guess, um, to see what their challenges were um, and to relate that to other people that are going through similar challenges, you know, whether that's economic or whether that's, you know, I, I kind of getting away from habitat a little bit, but, um, I, uh, can, would, can only recommend to anybody, any citizen of this country to experience, you know, to go to a different country and experience what it's like to be a foreigner, foreigner, where you don't speak the language, um, your perspective will shift a hundred percent when you come back um and uh uh you have that much more empathy for non-native speak you know non-native english speakers and the challenges how hard it is to learn a second language um as an adult um so anyways oh i i agree with you completely i've i've had the opportunity to travel pretty extensively and one of the things that i notice is that the type of folks with the least understanding or compassion for immigrants or non-native English speakers are the, are the same types of folks that will travel abroad and refuse to, to use any of the foreign language in the country that they're visiting. I mean, it's kind of why Americans have a bad stereotype and a bad reputation abroad. It's not because of our leaders, it's because when we go and visit other countries, we're, we're kind of jerks sometimes, just a little bit. It might be, it might be partially 
to do with some of it's our leaders our as well. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But, but. Yeah, I, um, I, I was abroad under George W. Bush, and, in, and I, was, I was in Europe at that time, and the Americans were treated in, in a very certain way. And then I was abroad again under Obama, and mm -hmm. I was in Africa under Obama, and it was like That's Americans were beloved. Everything was named after Obama. Yeah. They, it, it, our leadership does affect it does how affect we are perceived abroad. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, so, so yeah, it's not fair to say it doesn't. Where did you go after Boston? So, um, yeah, so I, uh, like I said, I grew up um, in Massachusetts and um, also did a, a, um, a couple years in, uh, in Vancouver in Canada. Um, after Boston, I um, went to UMass, um, University of Massachusetts Amherst, um, and uh, took as much advantage of their international programs as I could. So I spent um, three semesters in Germany um, and uh, uh, tacked on a German major onto, <laughs> onto my studies um, because of that. But um, German was kind of uh, the one common language between all of my extended family in, in Europe. So um, I grew up not learn not knowing German. So I, when I was uh, a kid, my my mother was saying, you know, I've been in this country for so long, I just have to start speaking English. So I got no German, no Slovak, and just terrible English growing up. Um, but uh, I really wanted that as an adult to to be able to speak fluently with my own family. You know, so that was that was the um, the motivation behind that. Um, and I also did a, a year in Colorado through the AmeriCorps program. Um, oh, very cool. Eventually came back to finish uh, uh, up at UMass and then just worked in Boston after that um, for three or four years until I, I ended up moving out to Maui in 2009. Or 2008, I'm sorry. How did, how did you settle on Maui? Uh, it's probably a very similar story to a lot of people here. Um, I was visiting an old coworker of mine who had moved out several years before. He's still on Maui uh, now. Um, but uh, uh, basically, it was right in the middle of a, a terrible winter in Boston. <laughs> and it was perfect. You know, Maui, I came here. I spent, uh, I think, two and a half weeks here. And it was it was probably still the most beautiful I've ever seen now. You know, the snow up on Haleakala, it was like 72 degrees with no clouds in the sky. The whales were jumping. Everything was green. Um, and I was like, wow, like, why isn't life like this all the time? And my buddy, my friend was like, uh, said, you know, well, it could be kind of joking. It could be if you moved out. And that just planted a seed. And I, um, you know, didn't really take that too seriously until I got back home. Um, working in Cambridge actually and I was walking back uh from my job and stepped off of a curb into what was now a newly formed pothole went up to my knee in ice you know slush water Ugh. um and you know just thought well you know life you know work is going to be stressful no matter where you go um I could have done without that and you know I have this um you know uh, a connection in Maui let's just see how it goes so I'm um, kind of just did it uh, with the expectation of um, just experience Hawaii for maybe a year. And here I am 11 years later. Um, I still love it. You know, I, I love working for Habitat and um, uh, seeing the impact that the 
that the agency has on real people um, in a very real way. And so, you know, now I'm here for a while. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a difficult task to make it work for, for 11 years. And yeah, going. yeah. Um, one of the, the things that strikes me is there is a significant cultural difference between the East Coast and the West That's Coast. And, and, you know, even bigger difference between the East Coast and Maui. Yeah. Just mainland and Maui, or mainland and Hawaii. You know? Yeah. yeah. It, it's, um, and one of the, the big things that I, I took from, from being here thus far is that there is a healthy distrust of outsiders. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that how did you learn to navigate this this different culture and this different world? What were, were some of the cultural differences that, that stuck out to you or that might have been challenging to you? Um, well, you know, I, I've always approached um, living here kind of as a foreigner, you know. Um, I've... Uh, you know, even though this we're all the same country, like you said, there are major cultural and you know numerous other divides um and i've just always had it uh, i think part of it is being um having had the experience of uh being a foreigner you know when i lived in germany i I moved i moved there not really being able to speak any of the language um uh, knowing how difficult that is um and I've always approached it with not um, uh, uh, taking for granted or like assuming that my understanding is the real understanding or, you know, mm-hmm. is, a, is the reality of, of uh, things on the ground. So what I've always found is that um, uh, when you're working with anybody, um, whether it's uh, somebody that's extraordinarily wealthy or somebody that has nothing or... Um, you know, a native uh, Hawaiian or somebody that's newly uh, arriving as a tourist, if you treat people with respect and you're kind and um, you are uh, you know, uh, just, yeah, if you're just um, respectful to others just human nature that that respect is um appreciated and returned um you know and uh i've seen it firsthand where people have come from the mainland and and said you know really this is the way things should be and this is how it works there and um uh, i can feel the resentment Mm. um from the local population um of you know it's it's a little bit of a condescending attitude or maybe not a little bit but maybe more than that but um yeah so i've always approached it that way um uh, i try to to work with people um one-on-one as much as uh, as i can and um you know try to actually listen to people and then try to you know that's part of actually the mediation skills is um that i that i um you know really tried to hone um, back when i was working for maui mediation services um is how to listen um, effectively and um, uh, have people sort of know that they've been heard by somebody um, Mm. is really powerful. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I've just kind of approached it that way, just just treating people with respect and 
um, not making too many judgments and, and that's kind of my advice for anybody coming coming to, to Hawaii and uh, uh, that's a it's great it's worked lesson. so far so yeah I that that aspect of taking the time to listen to people I think that was one of those maybe cultural barriers that that I had to overcome uh, which is especially having grown up on the East Coast, where there's this thought of, we got to move quick, we got to get to solutions, get yeah, to answers quick. So and I'm, you know, you have a problem, I'm going to tell you how to solve it. And if you don't like it, or if you don't listen to me, you're a jerk. And I'm, I'm right, great. Right, right. It's, it's so true. And then, um, you know, it's especially Northern East Coast. Um, oh, it's the where worst. Are you from? Long Island. Long I grew Island. up in okay. Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, especially New York uh, cities. It's, it is so fast paced. Um, you know, people look at each other and um, sort of judge each other based on what your education is, where did you go to school, what position do you hold, how much money do you make, what do you own. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a definitely a different world out here. Yeah, I was talking to a colleague of mine who works in tech. And uh, he, he works in political advocacy as well. And he sometimes comes out to Hawaii to advocate for things. And he was expressing this frustration, like, we've given them the solutions. We've explained to them what the problem is. <laughs> Sorry, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I told him, I said, listen, man, you're a stranger. If you just come every six months and tell everybody that they don't know what they're doing and that you know better, even though you don't live here and right. you have no sense of what's actually going on here or the culture, because right. like you said, I view Hawaii very much like a foreign country as well. Like, culturally, it, it is not America. Right. Uh, it, it, is, it is inaccurate to lump it in with the rest of America. And I mean, it, there, we can... We, I know, that's, that's a, a whole other show. That's a whole other show. <laughs> but, but to me... I, I cringe because I see those mistakes that he's making as, as mistakes that I made, right. thinking that I knew better. And, and my advice to him was, if you really want people to listen to your good ideas, stop giving people ideas for six months and just listen to what they need. Right. People want to know that they're being heard and that they're being respected That's before they're going to listen to you. Right. And, um, you know, even if there is a solution out there that you have an idea about that you think will work. Uh, you just don't know all the nuances that um, go into that problem or whatever that you might have a solution for unless you talk to the people that are actually experiencing those problems. Um, and, uh, you know, consider the solutions that, that they have um, and certainly brainstorm, collaborate with people. And, and um, you know, if there's... Uh, a, a good idea out there that that work you know um talk about it yeah but just if you just fully reject anything else outright um because you think your idea is the best and you can't listen to or, or, or um you know sort of give credence to other opinions then yeah you're probably not going to be here for too long and one of the the takeaways that i had was that especially on Maui and, and in Hawaii, being humble yes. is a virtue. Yes. Like it is, it is one of the highest compliments that you can get from people if they say, oh, Max, Max is humble. And when you go to the East Coast, uh, New York, Boston, or, or really just any place else, it's, it's rarely 
except for maybe like middle America. Mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of similar cultural values, and it might be because of the, the agrarian nature right. of, of the lifestyle there, right, where right. you know it is farming and agriculture. Um, but, but yeah, I love the fact that being humble is, is such a virtue here, and it, it completely changes the way the conversations are, are being had. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's kind of what I love to bring it back to Habitat for Humanity, is that you're asking people, okay, humble yourselves, work. Work yeah. for, for what we're gonna be giving you and we'll work together. Right. And that just seems like that model is so much more fitting for the type of, of people that, that live in Hawaii than a lot of other models. Right, and it, um, you know, you'll hear in the Habitat world uh, a lot um, where they'll say the phrase, you know, we're offering people a hand up, not a handout. People appreciate being able to, you know, people do appreciate help, um, but they're, like you said before, they're just that much more bought into the program when uh, there's some level of ownership um, uh, that, that goes into that, like the sweat equity, the 500 hours of sweat equity. Um, you know, there are certainly back on the mainland, um, you know, uh, programs where you might get assistance for this or that, but you might not actually appreciate that help as much if it's just a handout as opposed to oh definitely you know, the, the alternative yeah now um geez i kind of lost my train of thought for a second <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to talk about <laughs> there is a lot to talk about so we've gone into what habitat's doing right now um We've gone into your professional background with Maui Mediation Services. You were with them for five years? Yeah, I started working um, with them in 2009. And then um, I, I was right uh, at the cusp of the financial crisis. So um, Ooh, yeah. kinda, uh, had to do my best to navigate um, through that uh, craziness. But um, yeah, so that was uh, uh, from 2009 to 2014. And what was the, the jump to Habitat? How did that happen? Um, so I so I was the executive director um, of Maui Mediation Services, and I was on the board of another organization called um, Maui Nonprofit Directors Association. So it was a great another great organization on Maui um, that is for nonprofit executive directors or um, their staff at the director level, um, because. You know, really, uh, for executive directors, you don't have any peers in your organization. You have your board members um, that are sort of your boss, and then you have your employees and volunteers that you're trying to manage. So there's not really any anybody in the organization that's your peer. Yeah. Um, and to be able to bounce ideas off of or collaborate with other people that are in your position um, is really, really valuable. So... Um, I think uh, they have some somewhere around 70, 75 different nonprofit agencies that are part of that organization. So um, I was the secretary of the, that, their board for a few years, and um, uh, I think in 2014 I um, signed up to be vice president of their board. Um, but uh, Sherry Dodson, Habitat's executive director, was also on the board of that organization. Um, she was the I think she still is the treasurer. And, uh, yeah, we're just talking. Um, and she mentioned that there was a opening. And I mentioned that I always loved uh, Habitat's mission. And 
and kind of just went from there. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're just loving it. Yeah, I mean, well, certainly there are challenges, <laughs> you know, um, similar to what I try to tell people back on the mainland is, you know, uh, uh, Maui is certainly um, a paradise in a lot of ways, but it is no way a perfect heaven. Um, and uh, there's going to be challenges and people dealing with um, really hard aspects of their life. Um, uh, and that's part of working in an organization like Habitat. Um just, just working with those people. So when you can get those people into a better place, it's a really, really good feeling um, for everybody. Um, but yeah, certainly, um, you know, I, I, I do love working for Habitat. Every minute of it, it's challenging it's because, you know, we have, um, uh, com you know, complications or frustrations with having our permits processed uh, in a timely fashion, you know, um, uh, capacity issues, you know, uh, certainly there are logistical things that, um, are challenging and, and frustrating, but, um, at the end of the day, um, knowing that you, um, our agency is making such a big difference to, um, people that really, really, uh, are invested in our community and, um, just are in a situation where they, they can't afford to make their um, situation better. Um, you know, it, it's, it's such a good feeling to, to be part of. So, Now, I, I'm in politics. I work in politics and, and policy. And so this podcast has a slight politics and policy bend to it. Sure. And we have the, the housing crisis. And some of the, the estimates as far as housing units that we need by 2025 range from 14,000 units to, you know, 19,000. What, what's the high end? I think it's like 21,000. Yeah, some, some of these ranges. Definitely is, double digit um, yeah. thousands. The estimates are up. Uh, you guys are, are doing good work you, as far as 123 units and, and you have um, about just under 40 units that are actively in the works right now. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that'll take a few years to, to get online. What are some policy changes or, or governmental changes that, that you might like to see that would streamline this process for you and other organizations? Um, I think the permitting process can def could definitely be, be a lot more streamlined. Um, you know, I, I, there are certainly a lot of challenges there um, just with staffing capacities at the permitting department, you know, um, uh, but that's certainly a challenge, I think, for a lot of people that are trying to either improve their own houses um, and, and certainly nonprofits that are making, you know, for-profit developers, I think a lot of people are um, dealing with those types of delays. Um, uh, for affordable housing, um, you know, our main challenge is really financial mm. um so uh we can go to various um property owners landowners um people that might be interested in selling their their land um and hopefully negotiate a discount um if you know hopefully do negotiate a donation of land um because then the cost of the land doesn't come into play um DHHL is actually a really good partnership um, or, you know, has the potential to be a really good partnership in that pro um, because of that, because there's 
you know, there's no cost to the land. Yeah. Um, and the land, the cost of land eclipses the cost of construction um, for us. Really? Three to four times the cost of construction a lot of times. Well, um, you know, that if, if, if we can get a donation, then that's solved. Or if there's um, somebody out in the community that um, inherited a lot of land, but they're still make with our, our income range. They can't afford to build on it. That's mm. a really good partnership. Um, uh, but otherwise, you know, the the landowner is looking for some kind of um, benefit from the sale of their land. Um, and a lot of times they can only go so far. And so that gets rolled into um, our our overall cost. And that's really the the main I think challenge or hurdle um, in getting more um, programs, you know, more houses built. Um, but, uh, uh, and then it's also, you know, like the, the financial part of it is also um, uh, plays into our capacity. So our staff capacity to, um, to handle more, uh, more projects and things like that on a number of different levels. Um, so yeah, in terms of, in terms of policy, I think um, the, the over the last few years, there's been a lot of focus on um, requiring affordable housing funding, like grant funding, to have requirements of the the inventory, the house or whatever the the you know the the unit stays you know quote unquote affordable into quote unquote perpetuity, mm. um, and. Uh, like I said, there's definitely a time and place where that cert that model certainly works well for um, for some people, um, but uh, I think the I think our politicians are moving away from that a little bit more recently, um, as far as that making that a um, you know an end all requirement. So yeah. like if that if it's in perpetuity, then great. If it's not in perpetuity, sorry. So if um, if that was ever enacted, um, uh, that would reduce basically 100% of Habitat's count, you know, county or state funding, depending on where that um, decision was made on. But um, yeah, I can tell you, I I was lucky enough to be able to participate on the the scoring committee for the affordable housing fund this year. Mm, okay. And one of the the criteria under the rubric is the length of the affordability period. Right. And so out of a score from zero to five, if you're in perpetuity, you get that, that five. Mm -hmm. So that, that increases your likelihood. But yeah, for, for Habitat's model, you can't rightfully say in perpetuity. And that would, that would ding your score, right. even though you're, you're really, as, as you had said, the only group that in that lower income bracket is providing homes for, for ownership. Right, so you know, as sort of like a high level, um, uh, look at the in perpetuity model it makes a lot of sense of course we would want to um, you know not have these uh, houses f get flipped yeah. and then suddenly all the investment that went into that affordable housing uh, unit or house whatever um, suddenly the person that flipped that house is pocketing all that profit mm. as an individual um, so that's I certainly understand why the affordable housing um, uh, uh, time periods are, um, are are part of our laws, uh, but to yeah to restrict it 
to just into perpetuity for to be eligible for any type of funding um the end result here on maui would be that that low very low income population would suddenly be out of luck because yeah we wouldn't be eligible for that funding and it sounds like one of the big problems and and things that angers people about the county's deed restriction when it comes to affordable housing is that it has that 10-year affordability period mm -hmm. and there is a, f a right of first refusal that the county has but they never really exercised it and after 10 years which is really the average of of when people sell their homes mm -hmm. not the 30 years it's mm -hmm. really 10 years yeah. um, that people are flipping it but it sounds like because of your organization's flexibility being the lender and the 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 builder right. and, and working with these folks from start to finish right that even if somebody needs to transfer title in that 10 years, you're able to, to exercise your right or, or help them in finding somebody that it can benefit. Right, right. So, so maybe perpetuity isn't, isn't the alternative to 10 years. Maybe it's more flexibility with a 30-year structure like you guys have. Yeah, I mean, um, as, you know, this is just my personal opinion, but um, uh, 30 years, for me, that's a, that's a generation. Yeah. You know, so you've been living in that house for a generation and, um, you know, the, the huge majority of our homeowners, they're not in it for a profit. They're just looking for a place that they can live and call their own that they can afford, yeah. um, have a roof over their head and some stability in their lives. Um, you know, and, uh, for the homes that we've had at the, you know, sort of like at the beginning, um, you know, 2003, when we're first starting, some of those homeowners have um managed to pay down their mortgage um uh since and, and and move on which is the end goal you know but they've all or if they've passed um you know they had it in their will to um you know for their their heirs uh and that, you know but that, that's great it stays within the family and then you know in, in the in the community um but uh uh shoot off that's um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I, I love the model that you guys have going on. Um, we, we really are trying to build up stability. One question that I do have is, is if people, you know, they get that stability in their life, 10 years on, they, they landed that big high paying job, they're mm -hmm. making more income. Do you guys look at their income levels and increase the payments for during that period, or, or is it really just fixed? Because in my mind, I think it's it makes up for the the equity building if you, if they can't build that equity and pull it out mm -hmm. if they have that low payment locked in. Right, and um, uh, my understanding is that it is locked in. So we're looking at their last few years of. Um, tax returns, their pay stubs when they qualify, um, or so when they're applying. Um, so they just have to show that they were low income during that time frame and that they are currently low income. Um, we do uh, check in with our families um, at least annually. A lot of times it's much more than that because they're coming in and paying their mortgage payments. Um, let me just talk story. Uh, but... Um, we our end goal is not to keep people in a poverty income range um so it's uh it's just um basically what their income was at the time of application um and if it's an if it's a new house like the houses in lahaina or hana will be um we look at what their 
annual income is. We see what 30% of that is. Um, and then we project th that current um, income, what 30% of that is over 30 years. And then that's what the actual sales price of the house is. Um, that's what we sell it at. Uh, for example, the houses in Lahaina, they appraise at six hundred and sixty thousand. They're buying it for you know, depending on what their actual income is, um, around three hundred thousand dollars is usually what a qualifying homeowner will um, will end up with. Um, uh, but um, so there's that major difference in the sales price versus the appraised value, and there has to be um, some level of protection for habitat for the difference. So there is a silent second mortgage for the difference between mm. our sales price and um, the appraised value. And over that 30-year affordability period, um, they work that silent second off. You know, so that silent second mortgage gets um, reduced over time. Um, ultimately, all they're ever paying out of their pocket is uh, if they stay in that house for that 30 year affordability period is the sales price. Um, but, uh, in theory, if there was a foreclosure, which we've never come across, um, uh, we could potentially, um, you know, pull that silent second in, in mm. mortgage into, and depending on where they are in that affordability period, like how much they might be responsible for. But that's like a, a protection that's built into the system that we've never even had to, yeah, you know, to come across. We won't worry about that. Okay. Well, we are in the season of giving. I want to give our listeners an opportunity to give to you. So, what are what are some ways that that people can give back, and and maybe some some places that they can look for details? I know you talked about needing help out in Lahaina for mm -hmm. for the actual building. Uh, we talked about 100realestateagentswhocare.com. Yep. Um, direct us. Okay. Tell us how we can give. Okay, so certainly um, uh, you can, one of our major needs is financial. So a monetary donation is incredibly appreciated um, throughout all of our, org you know, in our entire organization, including our, um, our homeowners, because it's ultimately helping them. Um, you can make a donation online um, just with any credit card. Uh, you can just go to our, our website, habitat-maui.org, um, and find the donation tab on our, um, on our homepage. It's uh, linked up via PayPal like we were talking about before. You can write a check to our office. Um, just Habitat for, make it out to Habitat Maui, Habitat for Humanity Maui. Try to get that Maui in there, but send it to 1162 Lower Main Street in Wailuku, Hawaii 96793. Um, certainly welcome to bring in cash if you'd like to the same address. Sometimes that happens. Um, but another way that you could actually um, benefit us is to shop at our restore. So um, we get new donations all the time. Currently, the Weston is um, renovating, so we're getting a lot of um uh their furniture and and other things that they're kind of like transitioning out they have a two-year cycle for 
you know, making sure that their um, units are all sort of up to date and really good condition. Um, and so um, uh, that's something that should be available at the, you know, those types of furniture uh, should be available at the restore soon. But, uh, you know, building materials from, um, you know, bags of concrete to hammers, nails, tools, um, uh, paint, you know, you know, it, it just depends on when you happen to come in and what happens to be on the floor then. Um, but uh, there are so many good deals uh, there. So you're actually getting something at a good price. You're, the um, donor, the building contractor, the, the um, hotel or resort or whatever, they get a tax um, deduction. We're keeping it. They're not uh, putting that material into the landfill. So it's a win that way. It's a win for the, um, the donor. It's a win for the customer because they're getting um, uh, uh, discounted building materials that they can improve their house and that money goes to help goes to our home build program so monetary donations shop at our restore um, both of those 1162 lower main street or um, if that's out of your capacity but you have the ability to uh, work with your hands or get out on a construction site then we always need volunteers um, uh, like I said, uh, we're building 10 houses in Lahaina right now. We have a house um, going up in uh, the Hawaiian homelands, um, just past Kula, uh, Keokeo Waiahuli Hawaiian homelands. Um, and then we also have our brush, we have a program for um, repairs on existing houses that are in substandard or unsafe condition. Mm. It's called, um, the program is called A Brush with Kindness. So that's anywhere from um, installing you know, sort of like safety retrofits, grab bars in a bathroom um, or a tub to shower conversion for people that have a hard time getting into a, a tub to a wheelchair ramp or a, all the way up to a full re-roof. Oh, wow. Um, so we're doing a re-roof over the next couple, I think um, into December um, up in Makawao for uh, an elderly woman. Um, and she qualifies for for Habitat's programs, and um, uh, she just can't afford to make those repairs on her own. So um, it's a different component to our construction program, um, but that's something that we need help with as well. So that's up in Makawao right now. So we got Lahaina, Makawao, Makawao, um, Kula, all as um, possibilities for construction volunteers. If you're more central in Wailuku, you can help out at our restore. We always need volunteers at our restore. Um, and, uh, beyond that fundraising events, um, you know, things like that, just give us a call at 242-1140 and, and talk to us about what the options are, you know, at any given time and, and we'll talk people through it. But those are some direct ways that people can help support our agency and, and, um, really make a difference in how quickly we can get more homes built that people can afford. You said that number is 242-1140? Right. 808 area code? 808 area code. 808-242-1140. I love it. <laughs> All right. Now, I want to I wanna wrap us up. Okay. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Sure. Now I'm going to give you some easy questions that aren't related to Habitat for Humanity <laughs> okay. at all. Um, first up, what book would you recommend? Oh, boy. Um, so I... I'm definitely more of a fiction reader than a nonfiction reader, um, but uh, gosh, uh, what would I recommend? Um, 
gosh, probably some of the classics uh, that really have, have had an impact on me. 1984 certainly had an 19, uh, impact on me. Um, Catch-22 definitely had a big impact on me when I was little. Uh, not little, but, um, you know, in high school and, and early 20s. Um, yeah, just uh, uh, kind of those books that give you a healthy skepticism on um, uh, totalitarian governments, I guess, <laughs> or the army. Catch Twenty Two was a great book. I loved Catch Twenty Two. I, I actually haven't read Catch Twenty Two, oh, really? so I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down and I'm gonna go out and read that. Right now, I've I've got to admit I'm more of a fiction person myself. Oh yeah. And I I love comic books, and I'm actually reading like the the newer Batman and Robin comic oh, really? books. Yeah. That's funny because um uh well what's your next question because it's a more of a comic book answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what is guaranteed to make you smile? So guaranteed to make me smile um, is uh, Calvin and Hobbes comics. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love those uh, like those old comic books. But um, yeah. So we'll we'll put that down as as both your answer. Well, Catch Twenty Two is your answer to the first question, but we will also recommend the Calvin and Hobbes <laughs> comics. Yes. And then that that is guaranteed to make you smile. Yeah. Now a little bit of a harder question. What goal do you have that you haven't achieved yet? Retirement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, right, uh, I'm pretty happy right now. You know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, um, I think maybe just um, maybe more of a work-life balance. I don't, I, I'm not quite sure. Um, professionally, uh, I like where I am right now. Um, I've, I've done the executive director thing, um, uh, for a while that was really, um, rewarding. Um, but yeah, professionally, I, I'm kind of at where I would like to be. Um, so yeah, more, more personal <laughs> retirement would be awesome. <laughs> All right. That's, that's one of my goals too. Yeah, yeah. Um, my, I was, I often joke that my my goal that I haven't achieved yet is is going to clown college, oh, yeah. <laughs> and and a lot of times it's sort of a joke, but it's kind of true. Yeah, I would yeah, like yeah. to go to clown college, um, but my wife gets upset at that answer. <laughs> I can see, and, and she says it's not traveling the United States with your wife in an RV. That's not the goal that you want to share with people. And uh, if if she ever listens to this, that is one of my goals. Yeah, yeah. that's one of those. I would also love to do that with my family. Yeah, yeah. traveling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's let's do that. That's our goal. That, we're okay. gonna we're gonna travel <laughs> the the U.S. Um, what is something that you've learned recently? Um, well, it's not necessarily a, a new lesson, but um, uh, certainly one that keeps getting uh put back into my forefront but just um you know uh you know go with the flow and then don't mm. take things too seriously um as much as you can you know um uh try to really uh, this is more advice than lesson uh lesson i learned but um uh you know I, I'm, I'm i'm constantly learning more about um about our local community and, and our, the people in there. So, um, you know, uh, just the needs of our, of our community is always, um, eye opening, you know, people's experiences. Mm. And, and that leads into the, the final question, which is one piece of advice that you would give to anyone listening. One piece of advice is honestly, um, to work hard and to consciously choose to be kind. 
And one way they can accomplish that is by volunteering with wow. Habitat for Humanity. It, yes, that is so true. So consciously being kind. Um, yeah, if, if you, if any of your listeners have it in their hearts to, um, yeah, really our need is, is um, growing our financial capacity to, to make our programs work. So if you can find it in your heart um, to be generous uh, in, a, in a gift that is meaningful to you, um, then uh, you know, I can only encourage you to, to do that and, and, and show appreciation for that. But kindness goes a lot, a lot further than people give it credit for. Well, Max, thank you for your time. Sure. And thank you for the work that you're doing for the community. Sure. I, I appreciate it. Uh, us, us realtors, we appreciate it. I'm going to give you some money once we finish up with this podcast. Awesome. And I'm going to talk to you about volunteering, too. Great. I would like to get out, swing a hammer. Awesome, awesome. Good. Yeah, great. All right. Well, thank you all for listening, and I hope you all take care. Bye. Aloha.